Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today's show is sponsored by Social Media Marketing World 2017, our mega conference coming in March. I am really excited about today's show. I'm going to be joined by Marcus Sheridan, and we're going to explore a proven technique for creating content that sells. You're definitely going to want to pay attention to today's podcast interview. By the way, if you want to reach me, email me at podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And I am now excited to introduce to you episode five of our ongoing audio documentary. What's going on, social media marketing world volunteers? <laughs> what a crazy week for me. Why do we go to conferences? Ever stop to consider what they're actually for? It can't just be for a list of tips and tricks. I mean, go find yourself a blog post and save all that money and time. I think, I think we go to conferences to be transformed. Um, I'm just overwhelmed by the response and the, just, uh, the words of encouragement and it's been great. So how does a conference create an experience that allows us to transform? Well, it turns out there's one special ingredient, and today we hear a story that reveals exactly that. I'm Jay Akunzo, and this is the story of Damian Ross and Social Media Marketing World. A few years before Damian recorded that audio that you just heard, before he revealed his big secret to everybody on Facebook, he decided to attend Social Media Marketing World in San Diego in 2013. Yeah, so I actually attended the very first Social Media Marketing World and was actually blown away. And literally, it was the only conference that I'd ever repeated, and I've been to quite a few since then. Damien had been a solo entrepreneur for a number of years, and he'd been looking for a community to learn from and to serve. I feel like the networking was bar none in the sense that people were really approachable, not just the attendees, but also the speakers. He felt that, unlike most events, this one offered something a bit more refreshing and human. I think everyone's really looking out for everyone, where other conferences, it's I feel like everyone's just looking out for themselves. And as a result, he wanted to meet with Michael Stelzner, CEO of Social Media Examiner, one-on-one. -on -one. After the conference, he reached out to me and said, hey, I'd like to drive down, uh, meet you in person, and give you some... Um, some pillows, because <laughs> he was working for a mattress company. He's he's um, super friendly. So they kept in touch over social media. A couple years later, as Mike was about to start the training for the 2016 volunteers, he was surprised and thrilled to see Damien. And just before everything started, I walked over to him, and you gotta understand, he's like six foot four, tattoos all over his arms, he's a big dude. Gave him a big hug and said, hey, great to see you, bro, and you know, moved on. There was this theme of Mike coming up to me, like, how are things going? And I'd be like, things are good, man. Things are great. I love it. And he's like, no, really, how are things going? And I'm like, man, it's good, bro. What are you talking about? Everything's great. But in reality, things weren't so great. 
And after the event in 2016, in a private Facebook group for the volunteers, Damien shared a post revealing his secret. I'm going to read you a little bit of it. You never know what the guy or gal next to you is going through. That's how he starts it out. I bet you didn't know I was homeless when I met you. And I'm thinking to myself, what? Damien was homeless? And nobody knew this. Damien says he showed up to that event in 2016 with 20 bucks in his pocket. And then he goes on to share the story about how he basically was sleeping out of his car. And he started losing hope right before the event as a job that he thought he would get said no. And that was a hard hit because all my eggs were kind of in that basket. And that was it. And once I was told no, I was like, I have nothing. I'm, I'm nowhere now. And um, literally that next week was social media marketing world. Why would somebody in that situation be so driven to still attend a marketing conference? According to Damien, it's all about serving others. The main thing is I just wanted to keep my commitment. So Damien attended Social Media Marketing World 2016 as a volunteer. And he killed it. He did such a good job as a volunteer that everybody noticed. I mean, at his height, he's kind of a tough guy to miss. So one of his main jobs was showing speakers where to go around the conference. And, you know, you know there's big speakers, the, the Gary Vaynerchuks, the Guy Kawasaki's of the world and the Mark Schaefer's. And you're like, wait, what? Why? You know, and then I think a lot of it was you know, your point of view, Damien. You're able to see over the crowds. And so, you know, you're a human binocular. So go ahead and do that. And that was fun. And it was because of the great environment fostered at the event that Damien had the courage to share to his fellow volunteers what was really going on with him. Immediately, Mike uh, messaged me and said, hey, man, I really want to help you out. Uh, He sent me back a picture of an empty refrigerator with just ketchup bottles inside of it. So Mike introduced Damien to Emily, his colleague, who runs all the sponsorships for the event. Because right then, she was looking to hire someone. I think at the very least, we ought to encourage him to throw his name into the hat. But the very first thing that Damien confessed to Emily over coffee was... I really hate being a salesman. And she kind of looked at me and laughed. And then I, you know, I, I followed it up with basically the traditional salesperson where it's all about numbers and it's just about, you know, taking money from anyone that'll buy whatever you're selling, no matter if it'll work for them or not. And, you know, you just have, you know, it doesn't matter about quality, just quantity, email, email, email. And she was like, oh, that's not the way I've ever worked. And we had about a dozen very qualified candidates apply for this job. And to my great surprise, Damien kept delivering. And after a series of interviews, right as his final call with Mike was ending, Mike said, Damien, we'd love to have you aboard the team. And it wasn't because he was homeless. And it wasn't because he was down and out. It was because he understood how we operate and had the right skills. And it was just such a great win-win because we knew that it would transform his life. And we also knew that it would be very good for the business. He now works for us full time. He now has no problems with keeping that refrigerator full. And he is blessing us in a major way. Anytime that I've ever given or served someone, it has literally come back tenfold. And I feel like they run their sales team the same way. And that's a trickle down from obviously Mike to Emily that it's not about just someone saying, hey, I'll give you a check 
to be a sponsor. So I feel like everyone's motive is so pure. And now Damien travels around the country, you know, with our team, going to major events, building those relationships and convincing those people that they ought to come and they ought to uh, sponsor Social Media Marketing World. And he's got a unique perspective. He was there as an attendee. He was there as a volunteer. He's now there as an employee. So if we attend conferences to experience something transformational for our careers, then what creates the environment where that can happen? The secret ingredient doesn't seem so secret anymore. It's the event planning team's unrelenting, unwavering desire to serve. I think that's what's cool about what we've built. We've created an environment and a community where people who are willing to serve will be successful. And creating environments where people can serve can have unexpected consequences. And that's exciting. Just look to, to give as much as you can. It really does come back. And, it, and all I really gave at the end of the day was my story. And it came back in ways that I'd never expected. Make Social Media Marketing World a part of your story this year. Go to socialmediaworld17.com. That's socialmediaworld17.com. Register and experience something exceptional that just might transform you and your business forever. And now for this week's interview with Marcus Sheridan. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. This week, I'm very excited to be joined by Marcus Sheridan. If you don't know who Marcus is, he's a blogger, podcaster, and keynote speaker who specializes in content and inbound marketing. He's known online as, quote, the sales lion, and he's author of a brand new book called They Ask, You Answer, a revolutionary approach to inbound sales, content marketing, and today's digital consumer. Marcus, welcome back to the show, bro. Oh, it's like just going back to your childhood home and looking around, Michael. <laughs> this is great. This is well, great. Marcus and I are good buds, and it'll be probably apparent as we continue through this interview. Today, Marcus and I are going to explore the how side, H-O-W, how to use content to market and sell. And uh, I want to roll back the clock a little bit, Marcus. Um, how did you get into content marketing? Where did this whole thing start? And maybe even share, like, when did you realize you needed content? What what was going yeah. on? Yeah. So here's the quick sto story. I started with two other guys, a swimming pool company, installing in-ground pools in 2001 in Virginia. called it River Pools. And things were going okay up until the market crashed in 2008. And that was when Lehman Brothers did its thing. Stock market did its thing. The banks did their thing. Big time trouble. In fact, within 48 hours, the day of the crash... I lost five deposits of people that said we're getting a pool. This is going into the, you know, to the winter, to the off season. They said, we just can't do it. So we lost a quarter of a million dollars in business in their first 48 hours, which is a lot for any pool guy. And then over the coming months, things started to get worse and worse. And by January of 2009, we were literally going over that financial edge. And I talked to that month, three consultants, Michael, and all said the same thing, you should file bankruptcy. But the problem was, if I filed bankruptcy, I was going to lose my home. My two business partners were going to lose their home. My 16 employees at the time were going to lose their job. And so I knew I had to generate more trust, more traffic, more leads, more sales than I had ever done. I had zero money to do it. 
And that's when I looked at the internet. And that's when I started to read about these fancy phrases, inbound, content, blogging, call it what you want. But you know, for me, Mike, it was, you know, I'm, I'm a pool guy, right? So it's pool guy mindset. I simplify everything. And I said, after reading all this technical stuff, so what you're telling me, if I am just willing to obsess over the questions, issues, fears, worries, and concerns that my prospects and customers have and come to me with, and I'm willing to address them on my website through text and video, I just might be successful. And so I went to my two business partners and I said, we've got a new philosophy that we're going to live by as a company. And it's going to be four simple words and we're going to call it, they ask, you answer. And that's what started our what amazing, year was this? that was 2009 in earnest, March of 2009, March of 2009. So what did, what did you do? What, what did you do first? What I did first was I sat down and brainstormed every single question I had ever been asked, especially the major questions. And what's cool about this, Michael, is it turns out that these major questions that we get asked as businesses every day, generally speaking, we don't like to answer them as companies. At least we don't like to answer them. Or we don't like to put them out in public. That's for sure. That's correct. In the digital setting, we do not like to answer them, be it social, be it on our website, etc. And To be more specific, there's five subjects that I have found that move the needle in every single industry. And so for your listeners... Wait, hold on. I want to pause you there because you're getting ahead of me a little bit on this story. Okay. Okay. So hold on. (laughs) So um, so you started writing these blog posts. Um, Let's just call it that, right? Tell me what happened. I don't, and we'll get, we'll get into the how stuff a little bit later, but you started writing these blog posts. What happened to your pool business? Fast forward a little bit. So just to make a long story short... um, Everything changed. Traffic, leads, and sales exploded. And um, this past year, during the summer, in 2016, we averaged 600,000 visitors a month to the website. We're the most traffic swimming pool website in the world today. And it all happened, literally, Michael, because we said as a company, we're going to be the Wikipedia of pools. If anybody has a question, good, bad, or ugly, we're going to address it and we're going to do it more consistently and transparently than anybody in our space. So by about the fall of 2012 is when I enter your story or you enter my story, <laughs> you know, maybe it's said better. And um, Marcus comes up to me at a conference, the very first content marketing world. And um, he's in his, you know, um, polo shirt, super casual and says, you got to come to my session. <laughs> And, and they made like room for him by taking someone else's session and cutting it in half. So the guy had 30 minutes or 25 minutes to give an hour long presentation. And Marcus is quite smart. He recruited a bunch of people there and he just crushed it. And he and I became quick friends. And Marcus um, is a man who communicates with passion, has figured out something that a lot of businesses haven't figured it out and it's still just as relevant as it's always been. So that's my setup for now the um the rest of the story which is going to be what we're going to talk about today so um right now in you know 2017 when this broadcast goes live there is a lot of content online as a matter of Mm -hmm. fact you could argue that there are a lot of people that have learned the marcus sheridan way and have begun producing content good bad and ugly and a lot of people might think today 
that content maybe doesn't work the way it used to work because there's 10 times more people producing content. What do you want to say to someone who is struggling with some of that concern? Wow, what don't I want to say? How much time do we have on this one? This is, I think, one of my huge passion areas right now, Michael. And I don't know if anything bothers me to the core uh, worse than when I hear a business saying, everything's already been said, and so I guess we shouldn't share, we shouldn't say our philosophies. We shouldn't produce this content in this case. Or somebody says, well, if it's not amazing, we shouldn't share. In other words, we're not great at this, so we'll just leave it up to everybody else in our industry that is good. What a crying shame. Do you realize the original pieces of content I produced, Michael, were so bad? If somebody looked back on those original pieces, they would say, wow, you were not good on video. You were not good at writing. And today they might say, he's pretty good. And so if we look at what is happening, we're buying in, too many of us are buying into this idea that there's too much content and that nobody is buying the same way we were five or six years ago. It's fundamentally false. It's false. And let me just, let me, let me lay this out, okay? I was mentioning a second ago that when I started this process, I quickly discovered that there's five subjects that move the needle in every single industry. Subjects that buyers, B2B, B2C, want to talk about when they are researching, vetting a company, a product, a service, whatever it is, but businesses don't like to talk about. And here's the five subjects real quick. Cost questions, problems questions, like how, you know, what are the drawbacks? What are the negatives? What are the issues that come with? All right, so that's one. Comparisons. Comparing this versus that, your brand versus that brand, your product versus that product, et cetera, right? Um, Best of questions. What is the best um, software? What is the best marketing automation software? That's an example. And then the final one is reviews. So you got cost problems, comparisons, best, and reviews. Those are what we call the big five. Today I taught a workshop, okay? I had 20 elite companies in the room. When I say, I shouldn't say elite. Um, all of them were doing somewhere between 10 and $250 million a year. They're very successful companies. So I taught this workshop today. Nobody in the room was addressing these five core subjects. With which their oftentimes, content. Yeah. With their content. Nobody. Not a one out of the 20. One out of the 20 was addressing cost and price on their website which we could really go into that one real quick if you wanted to, Michael. But one out of 20, I've been talking about addressing cost and price on your website for six years. And every single audience that I speak to right now, Michael, every, and I'm not, I haven't found the exception. Over 90% of the room still, B2B, B2C, service product, it doesn't matter, matter, still does not talk about cost and price on their website. Why? So it's a simple reason. There's three reasons why everybody justifies this. And before we do the justification, let me do this this quick little uh, this quick little mindset of people. If I asked everybody that's listening, have you researched online how much something costs over the last year? Everybody would say yes, I've done that. And if I said, if you're on a website and you can't find anything about cost and price, what is the emotion you experience? Everybody would say, I'm I'm frustrated. So then if I asked you, well, in this moment of frustration, do you continue to dig on the website? You'd say, of course not. And then I say, well, do you call them instead? 
You say, no, I don't call them. I say, what do you do? You say, I keep searching and I search until I find the answer. And I say, and whoever gives you the answer, generally speaking, they get what? And then you would tell me, well, they get my business. And if not my business, they get my first phone call. Because the core psychology of all this, Michael, is as buyers, we know that they know the answer. And because we know that they know the answer, in this case, how much is it? And they're not giving it to us. Well, we now feel like they're hiding something from us. And the moment anybody feels like anyone is hiding anything from them online, trust is gone. And that is the business we are all in, Michael. That is the one tie that binds every listener to this. Even though they might be a a product service, a big, a small, a B2B, a B2C, is we all are fundamentally founded upon trust. People give you money because of trust. And so the reason why companies do not talk about cost and price, even though they themselves expect it as buyers, is for three reasons. It's always three reasons, and it's always three reasons because all businesses are the same. The first reason why they say they can't do it is because, well, we have a very customized solution. Every job is different. Our prices aren't set. So in other words, the answer is it depends. That's the first reason. But what's funny about that, Michael, if I came to anybody that's listening to this and I said to you, can you help me understand what would drive the cost of your product or service up? You could say, of course. If I came to you and I said, what would keep the cost of a project or service down? You would say, of course. If I came to you and I said, what causes the delta that I'm seeing in your industry? In other words, why are some expensive yet other vendors less expensive and cheap? What is the difference between these organizations? You would certainly be able to explain why some are cheap and some are expensive. And so that's the answer to the, it depends. Now, the second reason why we say we can't do it is because of the competition. We say, well, the competition will find out what I'm pricing it at. Mm -hmm. And here's what's funny about it, Michael. And I did the same thing today with these 20 people. Um, 20 businesses, I said, by a show of hands, how many of you have a very good sense as to what your competitors charge? Everybody in the room raised their hand. Everybody. And so, of course, my next question was, so if you have a great sense as to what they charge, they also, yes, that's right, they have a great sense as to what you charge. See, that's the funny thing about the competition side of this. It's the big secret, non-secret. Everybody acts like nobody knows what everybody's pricing is. In reality, everybody knows what everybody's pricing is. That's the second one. The third one is, well, Marcus, we're more expensive than the marketplace. And if we talk about our cost and price, we just might scare them away. But the thing about it is, what scares you away, what scares me away, Michael, is when it's not addressed. The moment the thing is not addressed, is the moment seeds of doubt are planted. It's no different than if you're vetting a restaurant and you go and you look at their menu online and you do not see prices. 90% of people in that moment now will choose a different restaurant. Not because they couldn't afford it, it's because they couldn't see the thing. So am I saying to listeners right now that are shaking their head that you should talk, uh, you should give a price list on your website? I'm not saying that. Perfect case in point. And this case study, of course, is in the book. But... At Riverpool's, the first question we addressed with They Ask You Answer was how much does a fiberglass pool cost? We explained what are the options, what are the accessories, what drives it up, what drives it down. We explained different ranges, and of course, we explained some of the different packages that would dictate those ranges. But ultimately, the answer to the question was, after a thousand words, it It depends. depends. Yeah. 
That's right. It depends, which is the answer for pretty much everybody that's listening to this right now. But you're educating them with the content so that they they know what the range is, really, right? That's right. That's exactly right. And here's what happened immediately after we wrote that, Michael. Immediately, I got phone calls from consumers, buyers that said, finally, somebody was willing to address this question. I feel like I trust you guys already. The second result was within days. If you went online and you searched how much does a fiberglass pool cost, cost fiberglass pool, how much does it cost to install a pool, on and on and on, and anybody that's listening to this, go go search that right now on your computer, on your phone, whatever, you're going to see that to this day, that article is the first one that you see. To make a long story short, Michael, because we use advanced analytics and we can track the leads, that became sales appointments, that ultimately became sales from that one article. I know that that one article since the day it was written has generated over three and a half million dollars in revenue to the company. One single article saved my business. It saved my home. It saved my employee's job. And we never actually said, how much does a fiberglass pool cost? Okay, question. Because I know that some people listening right now have another objection for perhaps a fourth objection as to why they do not mention cost. And it might be because I would much rather have them email me and get the lead so that I can talk to them on the phone. Um, And then I will reveal the cost because so many salespeople are driven by face-to-face or telephone conversations. So what do you want to say to that? Like, we can't reveal that because then I won't get the lead and I won't get you know, a chance to sell them? How do, how do you respond to that? Yeah, so the first, the first response is we have to look in the mirror ourselves. Is that true for you when you buy, whoever's, whoever's making that premise? And if they're being honest with themselves, they will say, as we mentioned a few minutes ago, no, that's not how I behave. That is not how I vet. I think it's also critical, and this is the thing that most sales departments don't understand, which is a tragedy. We've heard these studies. On average, B2B, B2C, 70% of the buying decision is made before they talk to a salesperson. They are 70% home in terms of who they want to engage, what they want to buy, before they talk to the company and the salesperson. If that number is true, and we're being honest with ourselves, which department of your organization has a greater impact on the actual sale? Is it the sales department or is it the marketing department? And of course the answer is marketing. We don't like to admit that because we've always seen it like this. Sales is always on a financial spreadsheet been seen as revenue. Marketing has always been seen as an expense that is fundamentally flawed, especially because of the fact that we have so many analytics tools today where we can track definitive revenue gains from the marketing department. But if sales teams don't understand this shift, Michael, well, then they will make statements like, well, I want to control that conversation, which is a big problem. Do you realize the number one email that I have gotten over the last six years since you and I have known each other isn't, hey, Marcus, how do I get more traffic leads and sales? It's, hey, Marcus, I am a marketer. I believe in this power of inbound, of content, of they ask, you answer as you teach. But the problem is I can't get anybody to buy in. I'm not a subject matter expert, and I go to my sales team, I go to my, uh, my management team, and I say, hey, help me produce these videos, help me produce these articles. And of course, what do they say? We don't have the time. That's not what we do. And in life, when somebody tells you they don't have the time, what they're really trying to tell you without telling you is, I just don't value it. And they don't value it because they haven't been taught it, because they haven't 
been educated because they haven't gone to social media marketing world because they haven't gone to the events. We have all of these conferences, Michael, for digital, and unfortunately, not enough sales and leadership teams are going. And because of that, we have a big, big issue with buy-in. It's a huge problem. Okay, so give us a quick, and I know there may not be a quick answer to this because I definitely want to save some time to get into the content creation side of this, but give us uh, some tips on overcoming objections because we can't expect that our boss is going to go to a conference. You know, like what what do we tell them? Is there some little video we can send them to that you created? <laughs> you know, what yeah, what I mean, do we what do we tell them to help get them to understand the value of yeah, but you of see. This? The- Here's the thing, Michael. If you do content marketing right, which is addressing the hard questions, which again, I want to state that over 90% of all companies haven't come close to doing, if you do not have buy-in all the way around, you're going to get resistance. What I have found, because this has been my obsession, this concept of buy-in for roughly six years, I have found unless you have a workshop – then this is just not going to ha- – you're just not going to get them to catch the vision. You look at Simon Sinek, right? He said, we've got to understand to make something a culture, a culture where your organization sees itself as teachers and problem solvers, which is essentially what content marketing is. Then we must help them understand three essential elements, the what, the how, and the why. You realize I go into most organizations, and if I go to leadership or sales and I say, what is content marketing? They can't even address that. They can't answer that. I know they don't they, – it's going to fail. It's going to fail there because it's not going to be a culture because the sales team is the ones that are hearing the questions, the problems, the issues. They're the ones that are answering it the most. They're the ones that have to be engaged. You know, we do not take on a client at this point unless we start with a workshop. And in the workshop, I tell the organization, it, it doesn't matter to me if you've got one or a hundred marketers in the room. They don't need to be there. They are to get it. Who needs to be there is your sales team and at least one, if not more, from your leadership team. And if they do not supply that, Michael, I kid you not, we will turn it down because it's not going to have that what, how, and why that is so essential. They've got to see the why for the company, but the why for the individual. When sales teams see the shift that's happening that's happened with the digital buyer, when they see how content can make their job so dramatically easier, and man, the stories I have on how content can change the sales process, and that's the other boat marketers are missing, teaching sales teams that, well then, it gets really, really exciting, and now all of a sudden, they're saying, I want to be a part of this, I want to be a part of marketing, and it sounds unbelievable to some that are listening to this, that have been going through these struggles, but it's very, very possible. Okay. Um, and folks, Marcus does these workshops. And at the end, I'll ask him to share more about how he does that because you can bring him in as your evangelist and he will convert anyone. <laughs> now let's, let's talk about actual content itself. I want to get into this because a lot of people listening right now buy into the premise that everyone that they know that is successful has content. Um, you know, if you think of, and, and I'm just going to spout off for a little bit here, but if you think of anyone who is an influencer or thought leader or someone who's respected in any industry that you're listening to us right now, chances are pretty good they're regularly producing content. They are using that content to help basically educate the world. And as they educate the world, some of those people turn into customers. That's the premise here. Now, a lot of people are concerned because the craft of creating content, whether it be written, spoken, or video, is scary and daunting. And you mentioned earlier that in the beginning, you weren't a very good writer, but this is still a barrier that a lot of people have to overcome. So um, talk to the people that are listening right now that feel like they're not good at the craft of creating content. Um, Should they hire someone else to create the content or should they try it themselves? Because trying it is at least better than nothing. 
Yeah, really good questions. I didn't have a choice because I was broke and couldn't afford to, you know, hire my, you know, my my wife for free at the time. You see, you see what I'm saying? That's how bad it was, and so I had no choice. Now, some companies have a choice, some do not. I can tell you this: if you are in sales, and if you're listening to this, there's a very good chance, some way, shape, or form, you're in sales. You are a communicator. Now, you might not be a good writer, but you are a communicator. We go into organizations all the time, and we help them find this voice that you and I are talking about right now so they can produce this content, Michael. And more often than not, 90% of their sales team, we just need to get them on video. With a little bit of coaching on video, they can be great. But the problem is with video, most companies go about it all wrong. They go about it all wrong. So there's a couple essential elements to this. I'm break it down really, really quick. I believe that every company, if they want to be great and seen as the WebMD, let's call it the Wikipedia of their space, first and foremost, they must have a content manager, somebody that owns this within the organization. Now, if you're a solopreneur listening to this right now, you're going to be the content manager. That's just life. That's what I was for a couple of years. But if you're bigger than that, well, then hopefully you're going to bring in a content manager because you can't just... You can't delve this off on somebody in the organization who's already wearing 12 hats and say, here's another big hat called content. It doesn't work that way. Now, the content manager has got to have a certain set of skills. They got to be able to write, edit, interview, and hopefully they're decent with video. Then has to, it, it's not a must, but it's ideal because many times if companies are a little bit larger, they will have a content manager and a videographer. Okay, that's essential. We have when we look at content managers, we always go for recent journalist graduates. Simple reason, they can write at an interview, they can do social, and they can't get a job right now. And because they can't get a job, they there's a very high supply and a low demand, which means you can get them at a good rate. And this one person, if they're producing the right content, the content that the customer, the buyer actually cares about, they'll bring in 10x whatever you spend on in the first year. I've seen it again and again and again. Now, when it comes to getting your team on video, there's two essential rules that we follow and it shocks companies. So we do, we, what, what happens, Michael, is we'll go into a company and we'll produce on average somewhere around in three hours, we usually do around 20 videos on average that we produce with companies. Like, how long, oh, how long are these videos? They might go anywhere from three to six or seven minutes. Okay. All right, That's the norm. And you say, how is that possible that you do so many in such a short period of time? There's only two rules. There's only two rules. When companies understand these two rules, everything changes. Before I tell you the rule, I got to tell you this. We suggest that you do interview-based um, videos. People are not good at talking to cameras naturally because we don't practice that. We practice talking to customers. And so if you're going to do videos with your team, with your employees, we always suggest that somebody is interviewing them. The interviewer has a huge role because they keep the conversation going and flowing and they make the person look really, really smart. It's not the interviewer's job to look like a star. It's their job to help the subject matter expert in most cases, the salesperson in this case, look like a star. Now, once you have the interviewer and you get people on camera, you've got the two main rules. First major rule is this. No matter if you think you did the, if you just said the greatest thing in the world or the dumbest thing in the world, throughout the take, you're not allowed to stop and say, I messed up. You cannot stop. And there's a reason for this. The moment someone thinks they can stop, they start stopping a lot more. 
because something happens to the brain and you're more worried about messing up than you are about going forward. That's the first rule. And so they've got to know no matter – if I fall on my face, just like on stage, Michael, when you're on stage, you can't just stop and start over. You're always moving forward. In the improv world, it's the principle of yes and. So you have to be moving forward. It's easy to teach this to teams. It usually literally takes minutes to teach this to a sales team. The second rule, you are allowed to do a second take. So let's say that you do a take and you're like, ah, you know, I just don't – I don't know how we feel about it. You can do it again. That's fine. And here's what's, what, what happens. When you start the day for the first hour or two, you might do a take, a video, that you know, like you said, three, four, five, six minutes. You might do it one or two or maybe even three times. By the end of the day, more than 50% of the takes will be one-take videos. So let me, almost, let, me, let me ask you a couple of questions here because I'm envisioning yeah. this in my brain. I'm imagining yep. two people sitting across each other, looking at each other, and the camera slightly off to the side filming the expert that's answering the questions, but they're not looking directly into the camera. Is that correct? Well, there is some looking at the camera. You want to acknowledge the camera. We generally don't ever suggest that people sit down. Right? Okay. All right. Because when you sit – when you when you sit down, you don't communicate at the same level as when you stand up. So we always try to have them standing up, having a real discussion. That way they can use full animation as well. Because yeah, we body. want them to use their arms and body as they naturally would. That helps them get in their most comfortable element. And this, is, of course, is especially true when we're talking about anybody that's, that has a product that you can visually see. It's a big, big deal, right? This is a very, very big, big deal. So the so want, yeah, but hold on. So the interviewer is off camera, basically, and that part ends no, up getting edited out. Or no, 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 no. Oh. no. They're on camera still. They're on camera still. Oh. Now you might say, well, normally the way we've done in the past is that you've got that close-up video, the person sitting down, they're looking at the person they're talking to, and the camera is angled, so it's kind of near the person that's yeah. interviewing them. But see, no, 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 no. That's not what we want. That's not the way that you can produce the highest. Um, quality and highest. So it's like the recording of a podcast, video. almost, isn't it? Uh, in a lot, uh, in a lot of ways, it is. But you see, if you have a good interviewer, you can make anybody on that team flow. Right. You can make them look good on camera. And I tell you what, Michael, salespeople, engineers, etc., they love looking good on camera. They love having a piece of content they can send to their prospect that you and marketing help them create. And if that happens, that's when the silos start to tear down, and that's when all of a sudden we've got this thing called sales enablement, and we're rocking and rolling, and we're not so frustrated, and the sales team is using the content that the marketing team is producing. That's when it gets really, really fun. I would love if you have some examples that you could provide, and I can put them in the show notes, maybe a couple of videos, because I think people would love to see what the final product looks like. Just because, you know what I mean? It's hard, it's hard to convey on audio. Now, I want to get in. You mentioned these five fears, and I'm going to go over them again. Cost, um, problems, comparisons, best of, and reviews. So um, should we write about all five of them when we're thinking about coming up with different kinds of content? Or should – obviously, it doesn't have to be writing. We talked this about it. It could be video, it too. Yeah, okay. This is where it starts. The reason why companies say we're doing content marketing but we're not seeing results is because they start in the land of fluff. Mm. 
And one of the biggest mis- – like we, we get a lot of companies that said, you know, Marcus, you talk about this stuff, man. I'm just not seeing it working. And then we go back and look at their content, and it's fluffy content. Let me give an example of fluff. Fluff is if I was a pool guy and I produced a piece of content that said five fun games to play in your swimming pool. That's fluff because we don't know if that person wants to buy a pool. We don't know if they need a pool. They might be having a party in the YMCA pool this Saturday. That's fluff. So you start – not at the top or outside of that sales funnel, but the questions should reflect bottom of the funnel based questions. For example, when someone says online, how much does a fiberglass pool cost? We know this, they want a fiberglass pool, they're going to get an in-ground pool, and now they're gonna spend money. That's a bottom of the funnel based question. When somebody says fiberglass versus concrete pools, which is better, that is a very good comparison-based question of somebody that knows they're getting an in-ground pool. They're just debating on which pool they should get. When somebody says, who are the best fiberglass pool builders in Virginia, they know they're getting a pool. They know they want fiberglass. They live in Virginia. They're hot to trot. But you see, most companies don't answer these questions. When somebody says, what are the problems with fiberglass pools? They say that because they know they want a fiberglass pool. They're vetting it because they've heard a few negatives. They need to confirm in their mind, is this a bad fit or is this a good fit for me? And you see, most companies would never address the elephants in the room. They would never talk about those things that they see as hindrances. But you see, the smartest companies today, Michael, they take the elephant that's in the corner of the room that many would perceive as a disadvantage. They bring it to the front of the room and they say, this is our elephant. Does anybody have an issue with it? Now you say, what's an example of that? An example of that is me saying to you, and I'll just use pools because it's a simple example. But if you're listening to this for the love of all that is pure and holy, just apply it to you because it's the same thing. So let's say it's with, um, let's see if it's with fiberglass pool. Uh, and when I'm talking about the problems of the fiberglass pool, I would come out the gate on a video or in an article and I would say, fiberglass pools are not for everybody. You see, you got to get the elephants out of the way, right, Michael? So I'd start with that. Fiberglass pools are not for everybody. In fact, there are times when other types of pools are a better fit. For example, a fiberglass pool doesn't get wider than 16 feet. It doesn't get longer than 40 feet. It doesn't get deeper than 8 feet. You also can't customize it any way you want. But if you're looking for a low maintenance pool that's less than 16 by 40 and less than eight feet deep, and you can find a shape and size that fits your needs, it might be a great choice for you. Now, what I just said, Michael, you would say that over the course of you know, 800,000 words, whatever it is, whatever it is. But that's the tone. That is the style. If I'm writing an article comparing concrete and fiberglass pools, I would say, you know, one of the questions that we get all the time here at River Pools is, okay, Marcus, tell me why I should get a fiberglass pool. Well, the truth is, I don't know you should get a fiberglass pool. Maybe you shouldn't because we have found that fiberglass pools aren't the best fit for everyone. In fact, there are times when concrete pools are the better option. What this article or what this video is going to do, it's going to explain to you the pros and cons of both types of pools. And then by the end, you'll have a great sense as to which is the best choice for you. Is there any industry where this stuff doesn't work, Marcus? (laughs) Yeah. So the way that we should pose that or think about that is, is there an industry where great teaching, communication, and problem solving doesn't matter? Now, there might be a couple people that are in the B2G business to government space, and they're saying, well, everything is RFP-based in my my world. Well, you may think like that, but I've got B2G clients 
that once you start to get into the nitty-gritty, it's shocking how much procurement is occurring now through the internet from the government right now. It's unbelievable. And it's only growing, especially as more and more millennials enter that procurement space in the B2G space, and they're looking for contractors in the marketplace. And so even in B2G, this is becoming prolific. And that's the thing about what I espouse, and that's the essence of the book. They Ask You Answer is a philosophy of business, one of transparency, one of honesty, one of saying, you know, I know they're going to have the conversation. And because I know they're going to have the conversation with somebody, whether it be good, bad, or ugly, I want that conversation to be with me because I want to help control that conversation. And because of that, it dictates your the way that you communicate online, but it dictates the way that you sell offline as well. That is the essence of of they ask you answer. And that's why this is applicable to anybody. And that's also why, Michael, that if you came to me in 20 years and you said, is content marketing going to be relevant in 20 years? A lot of people would say, well, I don't really know. But if you said, is great teaching and great communication going to be imperative to your business's success in 20 years? Anybody would sit there and say, well, of course. This is something that Marcus has been living and breathing inside and out for years. And he has really perfected this. I I mean, I think I can honestly say that you have perfected this. And I've got this awesome manuscript printed out in front of me of his his awesome new book called They Ask You Answer. I would implore everyone to go out and get the book and discover whether or not bringing Marcus into your business or your professional organization to help break through the objections and sell the powers that be on on how something like this could help your company, I really think you ought to consider it. So Marcus, I would implore you to share with people where they can discover more about the new book, where they can find you, and uh, why don't you go ahead and tell them that. Yeah, thank you, Michael. Uh, easiest thing about the book right now that you can do is just go to Amazon and type in They Ask, You Answer. It'll pop right up. Of course, you can come to my website, which is thesaleslion.com. You can find me on the Twitters at The Sales Lion. And if you have a question for me, just email me directly. It's marcus at thesaleslion.com. I would love to field any questions, doubts, concerns that you have and talk to you about it because this changed my life. It saved my home. It saved my business. A lot of ways it saved my family. That's why I'm so passionate about it. It's why I believe in it. And Michael, I just appreciate you giving me the platform to talk about it with your amazing audience. And folks, I also want to say, if you want to see this guy in action, you get to social media marketing world. He never, never disappoints. Marcus, thank you so much, brother, for coming. And again, folks, the name of the book, They Ask, You Answer by Marcus Sheridan. Talk to you later, man. Well, I hope you got a lot out of today's interview. If there was anything that we mentioned and you didn't catch it, simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 234 That stands for episode 234. Subscribe to this podcast. If you're not already a subscriber, hit that subscribe button on your podcast player. And most importantly, come to Social Media Marketing World. Check it out. Visit socialmediaworld17.com. Well, this brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner.